As the southern United States announced its split from the Union, not willing to lose its ability to keep people in chattel, after John Brown swung from the gallows and after Dred Scott had been told that despite being in a free place, he was not considered a free man. After Lincoln took power and war came, Harriet Tubman continued existing and persevering as openly as she was able. She had brought her parents out of candidates to the home she owned openly, and despite concerns of her safety, she continued her works. Her friends were concerned as there was constant talk of her in media and publicly. People wanted her head. They wanted to kill and torture her, but, but Harriet seemed to pay no mind to the events. She felt divinely protected, and if, for whatever reason, God wanted her to be a sacrifice, she reasoned, she would be. There was no talking her out of God's will. After her rescue of Charles Nall, Harriet was a featured speaker under a pseudonym at an anti-slavery rally in Boston. She spoke alongside William Henry Garrison that night to an appreciative crowd. As rumors of her appearance trickled down, many mocked Harriet and the city of Boston for allowing a woman who was a thief of property, so to speak, to talk publicly. John Bell Robinson of Philadelphia wrote that the city of Boston and Tubman, where he misspelled her last name as Tupman, were endorsing a violation of constitutional rights, never mind the rights of the people they held in bondage, failing to see their own faults as they lauded their own protection of rights and a document written so many years before that was supposed to breathe and change. This is God's Favorites. A history podcast. Harriet Tubman, Episode 4. There is this fear when talking about slavery that Americans have got to work past. I didn't own slaves. Why should I be made to feel guilty about something that I didn't even do? As though the discussion would end with them having to accept culpability. I assure you now, no one is asking you to take that load of responsibility. All any of us should do is have some empathy, an acceptance of a situation that, while it seems so distant in history, really is not that far from us. The grandfathers of grandfathers of Gen X and millennials could very well have been connected to that time. Growing up knowing my ancestry meant I knew I had relatives who fought for both the Confederacy and the Union. These discussions of uncomfortable things should not trigger defensiveness in you. Rather, it should just trigger empathy. There seemed to be a charge in the air with the Civil War coming. And I've compared Harriet to Joan of Arc previously, and I'm definitely not the first. And it's at the beginning of the war that Harriet says she has another prophetic dream that a Union victory would be the final blow to slavery. Her work on the Underground Railroad had become harder to do as slave owners and other like-minded states' rights folks kept an eye on activities in their area. As the war unfolded, Harriet made her last trip as a conductor. She had raised the funds to rescue her sister and her sister's two children. Harriet was keeping in touch with her friend Thomas Garrett, and he was sending funds and working to coordinate the rescue. Her sister was the last of her family owned by the Broadus clan. The clock had been ticking on this rescue, and Harriet was struggling with finances. She made it down, and while there rescued the Enos family. Author Kate Clifford Larson hypothesizes that saving them was a last-minute decision, especially since the family had a very young infant. 
But in reality, Rachel was Harriet's only focus. She arranged to have someone meet her, but when they arrived, there was no one with them, and they had bad news. Rachel was dead. She had died shortly before Harriet made it to save her. It was no doubt a devastating blow. For reasons that aren't exactly clear, perhaps needing more money to bribe someone, Harriet was also unable to rescue her niece and nephew, Angeline and Ben. It is said Harriet tried to wait as long as she could all night in a freezing snowstorm for someone to bring them to her. But nothing ever came of it, and Harriet had to get out of Dorchester County. Harriet stopped along the way at a home of a free black man on the railroad. She hid her passengers and knocked in code. She waited with no answer. When the door finally opened, her friend was not there. Rather, it was a white man she had never seen before who wanted to know who she was and why she was knocking on his door in the middle of the night. Her friend had been run off after discovery of his involvement in the Underground Railroad. Her presence triggered alarm bells and Harriet felt the dragnet coming towards her as patrols began to search. They were hotly pursued, but they kept running. In the freezing weather, they floated the baby in the river in a basket like Moses. Things got more and more tense until Harriet and the group sat down to pray while hiding in a thicket. Not long after, a white man, a Quaker, with a wild appearance, came walking down the road talking to himself. At first she thought he was mad, and then she listened to what he was chanting. The riverbank makes a very good road. The dead trees will show you the way, left foot peg foot traveling on. The man was speaking in code, just like that song. Follow the drinking gourd is the name. And though we don't know exactly what chant this man was doing specifically, Harriet had prayed for deliverance, and no sooner than she had did her angel show. That Quaker man who knew a group was being hunted on that road, and he was giving them directions to get to a safe spot. If everyone around her was stunned, Harriet wasn't. She seemed to have the utmost confidence in herself and her prayers. From there, they bounced from home to home with Quakers. They didn't have many comforts, but they were supplied with blankets and laudanum to keep the infant quiet. They pushed through to the north, where Tubman collapsed at the home of a friend. She could no longer stand, because her feet were badly frostbitten. After resting for a few days, Harriet learned that the news about her sister's death had reached her family. Her parents now knew they had lost a daughter and that their grandchildren would stay in bondage. In the meantime, William Seward, the man who had given Harriet a home, was trying to convince Lincoln and others to make concessions to the South to keep the Union intact. Soon, Seward's abolitionist friends began distancing themselves from him. Because of her proximity to a man who seemed to be a traitor, her friends whisked her away to a location that Seward wouldn't know on the chance he might tell someone where she was. Harriet didn't seem to think that Seward would sink that low to betray her, so the move was against her own volition. Tubman was taken to Canada for her own safety, her family was residing uncomfortably together, and it's said that Harriet's parents were unhappy that her mission 
no matter how righteous, was causing their older years to be spent in discomfort. This is around the time in Harriet's life that one of the most mysterious characters appear. Harriet eventually reemerged with a small child. She appeared suddenly with Margaret Stewart, a 10-year-old, and then she placed Margaret in the care of William Seward's sister as a ward. But scholars note that they don't know exactly who Margaret was to Tubman. She hadn't been enslaved, and Margaret's future daughter would claim that Harriet had kidnapped her from a loving home. Knowing what we know about Tubman, that seems extremely out of character. Stewart's daughter said that her mother did not know what Tubman was thinking either, hypothesizing that Harriet saw what she could have become if she hadn't been enslaved herself. The girl was beautiful and intelligent and raised by a wealthy white family. There is some speculation, and it is only that, that perhaps Margaret was Tubman's daughter. It would beg the question of who the father was, but it would provide a more reasonable explanation than Tubman removing a child from her family for no reason, especially when Tubman was very intent on keeping families together. If she had had a child ten years prior, she may have gone back to get her. But we just simply have no reason or explanation for this strange anecdote in Tubman's life. In fact, when Margaret died in 1930, her obituary called her Tubman's foster daughter. Though that theory makes sense, it's important to note that it's only a theory and the truth will always remain a mystery that no one seems to have an answer for. Harriet took that answer with her to her grave. The American Civil War is fraught with the question of whether or not it was truly a war for the emancipation of slavery. And when I say that, I'm not saying that slavery wasn't the root cause of the split. It's just that many Northerners were more concerned about the lack of unity than the issue of emancipation. Still, the Union had become the only side to support for those fleeing slavery, and as war came to them, Many would often just follow Union lines and stay behind them. But now we are at a new chapter in Harriet's life, and that's the chapter of Harriet the Spy. Truly, spy was only one of her professions in this time. She worked wherever she could as a nurse and cook or doing laundry. But her intelligence service is one we are rarely told about as students. Tubman was exceedingly well-connected, so when Massachusetts Governor John Andrew began recruiting for the all-black 54th and 55th regiments, she reached out and Andrew decided that someone with her skills would be excellent in gathering intelligence. She also began work with General David Hunter, who was ignoring Lincoln's orders to not emancipate enslaved persons in the areas where they managed to win. Tubman, who actually considered Lincoln kind of short-sighted, was thrilled with Hunter. Union troops had captured Hilton Head, South Carolina, so Harriet was sent to nearby Beaufort to work as a nurse, where her healing skills were actually lauded. She was known for making concoctions out of whiskey and herbs that helped calm those in pain. But in truth, Harriet's real ability was being stealth. With a team of eight recruits, Harriet went out into the areas in search of local African Americans who, rightly so, would spill the beans on Confederate movements in the area. Tubman's reputation seemed to earn trust more amongst enslaved persons than the soldiers in the Union, and in the beginning of 1863, with the Emancipation Proclamation being issued, many were hopeful, but Harriet 
who had likely dreamed of this moment her whole life, was very wary. And with good cause, the move was too political and wasn't all-encompassing. She would later tell people she couldn't rejoice over the move because she was too in mourning for the people who would remain enslaved with the proclamation. In the following months, Harriet was given a small amount of money to live upon, and she scouted info from locals reporting back to the chain of command. So trusted was Harriet that in June 1863, she became the first woman in the United States history to command an armed military raid, alongside Colonel James Montgomery. Intelligence she gathered along the way indicated the locations of Confederate supply posts and heavily mined waters. So in gunboats, the group headed down the Coombe River. If you are from South Carolina and I butchered that, I apologize. <laughs> along the way, some of Montgomery's men went in to fetch enslaved men to persuade them to join the cause, as well as find any hidden Confederate soldiers. And then they proceeded to scorch outposts containing food and cotton, Whatever weapons they didn't take, they destroyed. And if Harriet Tubman's numbers had been impressive before, they were nothing to what Harriet Tubman could do with some manpower. That raid freed 750 enslaved persons. As the news came out about Tubman's success, even though she was referred to only as a black she-Moses in newspaper articles, it gives me so much joy knowing that those who held men in bondage saw that they had been utterly outsmart and outplayed by not only a formerly enslaved person, but a woman. Yes, yes, queen. But her just rewards took a long time to come, and despite planning and leading a successful military raid, when Harriet applied to be paid by the United States for her service, she was denied. They paid Harriet Tubman's eight scouts, but not her. And that right there is exactly why Harriet didn't celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation. She had continued reason to be skeptical of Northerners as well. Now, eventually, Harriet was paid for her service as a nurse some three decades later, but still, as always, say it with me, I hate it when men, that's it, that's the statement. Now that being said, even if Harriet also hated when men underestimated her or treated her unfairly, it did not stop her from marrying a second time. Presently, Harriet was working at a hospital for black soldiers and worked to make sure they were receiving fair treatment, utilizing her connection with William Seward to get help. Eventually, Harriet was appointed matron of the hospital, which was a big deal for her. Though not as active as she had been in previous years, she still worked towards getting citizenship for formerly enslaved persons and would eventually become a well-known suffragette. In 1867, Harriet would learn that her first husband, John Tubman, was killed in an altercation. It was two years later that she would meet and marry Nelson Davis, a former enslaved person who served as a soldier for the Union. In need of a place to stay, Davis asked Harriet for shelter. She allowed it and then just ended up keeping him there with her. Davis was sick, likely with tuberculosis, so Harriet had to continue working, never getting time to rest. The pair eventually adopted a young girl named Gertie. They were married for 20 years when he died. Finally, Harriet received a pension for a soldier. Sadly, 
It was just his pension for her as a widow, not the one she had earned. Harriet's activism would continue despite a lack of thoroughfare for working with the Union. Despite Susan B. Anthony's brand of suffragism being geared toward white women, Harriet joined along with her work. Not necessarily out of support for Anthony, but anger at the black men she had helped along the way, as well as the white politicians she knew for not including women in the 15th Amendment. Harriet also worked alongside the African Methodist Episcopal Church, where she would be affiliated for the rest of her life. She even worked fully to raise money for a home for the elderly, though Harriet fought with her board after they attempted to charge a $100 entry fee for those who would use it. Harriet had more than earned the right to rest in her later years, but she never seemed to be able to. She could never stop fighting for other people, even if they eventually let her down. Twice in her elder years, she was robbed. Her notoriety had made her something of a target, and people tended to think she was rich. But in the early 1900s, Harriet found an old wound aching. That wound in her head she received after being struck in the head as a child. That wound that many people believed was the source of her power that gave her vivid dreams. That thing was now killing her. She was suffering from delusions and seizures and headaches. She was weak. And when taken in for surgery in Boston, Tubman refused anesthesia, which shocked the doctors around her. She told the doctor to move her brain around to make it more comfortable, and he tried. She also took a move out of the books of Civil War soldiers by biting into a bullet while the doctor operated on her head, sawing it open. Harriet is pretty darn tough. She came out of that operation alive, but not much better. She could no longer walk and had to spend the rest of her days in a wheelchair. She was eventually forced to enter that very home for the elderly that she had founded. Now her friends tried their best to keep her comfortable, but on March 10th, 1913, Harriet Tubman died after a bout of pneumonia. Her last words are said to be, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you also may be. Her funeral attracted dignitaries and common folk alike. This queen, this warrior, this general, Harriet has since been reduced to a chapter or a few pages in a unit in our history books that we learn about as children. I have this friend who's a historian, and he talks a lot about something he calls the temporal timeline. It's basically an indicator that things and events are never quite as removed from our life and our reality as we think. So let me put into perspective how close the life of Harriet Tubman is to ours today. Harriet Tubman was alive when the Titanic sank. Rosa Parks was alive when Harriet Tubman died. Rosa Parks lived until 2005. I see a lot of kids on TikTok talking about how the fact that Rosa Parks could have technically seen Shrek 2 really boggles their mind. And that's exactly what the temporal timeline is. These events that we look back upon as long forgotten never really are that far away from us. The world is still figuring out what the repercussions from the Civil War should be. 
nothing is quite so far away. We know that because Harriet Tubman's legacy still causes ripples. Now, let's get this badass on the $20 bill. God's Favorites is a podcast that I like to call bi-weekly, but hey, yeah. One of these days, maybe I'll have time to just, like, do this for a living and only this, but we'll go with it. I'm very excited about some of the projects I have coming up, but I can't wait to share them all with you. But let me go to our sources first today. If you ever like a topic I do, I ask you to go buy copies of the books that I use because I'm using those to create this content. I want to credit them and I want to support these authors. Up first, we have Kate Clifford Larson, Bound for the Promised Land, Catherine Clinton's Harriet Tubman, The Road to Freedom, and HarrietTubman.com. Thank you to everybody who supports our Patreon. Also, yes, I am the only person who works on this podcast, and I, but I say ours because it's a collaborative effort. While this may in fact be a one-woman show, meaning I'm hosting it and writing it and researching it and doing the audio badly, sorry about that, <laughs> I say our because this is a collaborative effort. If you support the Patreon, I'm using that to pay for books, to get behind paywalls, for streaming costs, for music licensing costs. So if you are inclined, support us on Patreon. Also, thanks to everybody who has been following me over on TikTok. Guys, I'm hoping we keep it. I I'm feeling okay about that, but um, make sure you're reaching out to your lawmakers in the U.S. And I don't want to see anybody lose it. So if you're inclined on, on TikTok, my handle is at Melissa Fair Lady, And uh, it's getting ready to be Titanic month over there. And you know, you guys know, I love Titanic. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know what we're going to be doing for the next topic yet. I haven't decided. <laughs> Throw suggestions my way. And as always, see you next time, friends.